And we've been going verse by verse through Exodus. And uh, so if you've missed the last uh, 45 weeks, go back and uh, check those out. Uh, that'll prepare you for today. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's probably, I don't know, it's probably a bunch. 30, 40, I don't know. It'll be close to 60 when we're done, probably going through Exodus. But um, today is the eighth week talking through, how, wait, how did BK do last week? Yeah? All right. Way to go, BK. Brought the word, and he showed his muscles. I heard that was, that was good. Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to be looking at the eighth commandment with today, which is don't steal. But before we do that, I want to mention a couple things. I know it's like 30, 40 minutes of announcements today, but uh, uh, Mike Gilbert is planning a church in Florida called Northport Calvary. And uh, we, I've been discipling Mike, and, and so they're kind of like a church plant from us, kind of. So we're just really connected with them uh, because of my relationship with them, and so I'd like to pray for them, okay? Father, we pray for Mike and, and their church down there, and we pray that you would bless them. I pray uh, that you would use them to reach that community, uh, Father, and thank you that he's teaching grace and teaching about your love, and uh, we just pray you would strengthen and encourage them and their family. Amen. Um. We had Brandon and Ernie, missionaries uh, to Ireland, come over to our house this week, and they're in town visiting uh, uh, for a couple weeks here. So I just wanted to give you guys, we support them and stuff, and I would like to encourage you guys. They are doing very well. God is uh, really using them, and uh, their youth is like 50 kids now, uh, and they do still do puppet shows, and they're still super funny. In fact, Ethan wrote a joke. Uh, do you want to hear a, a joke that Ethan wrote? Don't be offended. It's funny. What does Jesus sing when he's peeing? I got a river of life flowing out of me. <laughs> so that's an eight-year-old joke. And when he said it, I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. So I thought I would share it with all of you. Way to go, Ethan. You are now my hero. That was really funny. All right. Um, so you shall not steal is our, is our uh, text for today. Pretty simple. Let's say a quick prayer so that we can hear God's voice. Father, we want to hear your voice. We want to uh, not, not think as we think, but we want to hear the voice of the Spirit uh, teaching us. And we can't understand your words uh, really in our hearts unless you open us. And, and uh, we want to hear your voice. Amen. Stealing is always wrong. Anybody disagree? Okay, we good? All right, but stealing babies is very bad. Does anyone disagree with that? Okay, so Argentina's uh, last military ruler died this last week, and uh, his name was General uh, Reynaldo Bignoni, and I have a picture of him. Yeah, that was the old him when he, in 1980s, he, he ruled for about a year and a half in Argentina, and I got a picture of him just recently. That's him, uh, real nice-looking guy, right? But he stole babies. He stole babies. He died in a military hospital this last week where he was serving a life sentence for crimes against humanity uh, because he, in 1982, oversaw the systematic theft of babies from political prisoners. About 30,000 people were killed or disappeared under his rule, and uh, his, his crimes were part of something called the Dirty War in Argentina that was a brutal plan to silence left-wing opposition in the country during, during that time. And uh, so what they would do is they would kidnap people and their babies, they would torture people, they killed opponents, 
And uh, then they took their babies and gave them to people who supported the military rule. This is crazy, right? Uh, let's see. He defended his actions until the end, describing them as a battle against terrorism. Stealing is always wrong, but stealing babies is the worst. <laughs> this law is really simple for us to understand, right? Uh, never take anything that does not belong to you. Okay? So we can all just go home now. <laughs> this, no, but we're going to go on. But especially babies. And I've heard that you have to be careful when you're traveling through Europe and, and maybe even the States. Is there, is there gypsies out in the, the, the Tajikistan? You got some gypsies? I've heard that sometimes they'll, they'll come up and they'll throw their baby to you. And, and then while you're grabbing their baby, they'll steal all your stuff. They have many tactics, right? <laughs> that is hashtag dedication, right? Keeping it 100, right? Hold my baby. You never know what's going to happen when someone says, hold my baby. Have you guys ever, have you ever been robbed? Has anyone ever been robbed? House broken into, robbed, or car broken into, Man, one time I was in I was in football practice, right? And and I had my wallet and I was a teenager, so I had 60 bucks in my wallet in my locker that was not locked. Super smart on my end. But a guy stole and I knew he stole it and, I, and he never got caught and I was so mad. Just being stolen from makes you so mad. I found, I found my wallet in the trash and it was empty and oh, I was so mad. I just remember that the way uh I felt. And when I was in Jerusalem, a guy that was on the trip with us, he had his wallet stolen by gypsies. That was crazy. They just all surrounded him, and then they left, and then his wallet was gone. That was crazy. It feels so terrible to get robbed, doesn't it? It does. It can lead to major physical and, and psychological issues. It's, it's literally how we got Batman. A, a, a burglary gone wrong, you know? Okay, so I think I've made a personal connection with every possible person here. Gypsies and geeks, we've all heard something that we like. Okay. So, question. Have you ever broken this command? So we, we check our wallets, make sure we leave, because we've all confessed. We're all a bunch of thieves in this room, so make sure you keep your eyes on each other as you're, as you're walking. Watch your babies. <laughs> but we know the heart of this command, just like with all the other commands that we've been uh, studying, is so much deeper than just the surface description of, of taking something from someone, right? Uh, like we've seen in these other commands, it's, it's just got a deeper level that Jesus brings out. So let's zoom forward to the New Testament and, uh, and see how this command is talked about. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4. In the old covenant of law, um, it, it simply prohibits behavior, okay? It simply prohibits the behavior, okay? External, but, but when Jesus comes, he doesn't do it the same way, okay? In the new covenant, instead of just prohibiting the behavior and saying, don't steal, Jesus replaces, he removes that entire demand and he replaces it with something better. He replaces it with a desire 
to do what's right. Instead of steal, we'll see to do something different. He replaces the desire and the need for the bad behavior with love. That's the only thing he does. He replaces the desire and need for the bad behavior, and he replaces it with love. Love for God and love for others. When they came to Jesus and said, what are the two greatest commandments in the law? What did he say? Love God and love others. Those were the law summarized. The law. But how many times have we been to church and said, you know what, we're going to be a big church that just loves God and loves others. And that's, that's, that's law. That's law. So we're going to just try our best to fulfill the law? Isn't that what Judaism is? Just do your best. Then we're Pharisees. Because they tried harder than any of us have ever tried to keep the law. Just remember, when you get that voice in your head, do you love God enough? Are you loving God enough? Do you love your... Just remember, those are laws. Now, they're good. It's perfect standard to live by. But we cannot produce this, like our brother said, without abiding in Jesus Christ. The old covenant just says the demand, love God more. How much? Perfectly. Love him enough. Love him as much as he deserves. And love everyone else too. Those are great commands, but the law only states the command where Jesus, he is going to equip us and replace our selfishness with love. That's wonderful what he does. He doesn't just tell us, be loving, which is the law. He provides the resources and heart change for us to actually be loving people by filling us with his love. I was listening to a book. Hudson Taylor wrote a book, a commentary this, uh, on the Song of Solomon. It's the only book he ever wrote, the only commentary he ever wrote uh, was a commentary on the Song of Solomon. It's, it's a treasure. If you can ever find it, buy it, or it's free on LibriVox if you want to listen to it on your phone. It's amazing. And uh, it's called, I don't know, look up Hudson Taylor and you'll find it. Uh, it's, I can't remember the name. LibriVox is an app that you can listen to free uh, books. Uh, anyway, communion and, yeah, something like that. Yeah, you got it. Anyway, in this, there was one little tiny thing I just thought of in this, in this book uh, where you, you know, you've heard that thing, my beloved is mine and I am my beloved's, you know, that phrase. Well, throughout the Song of Solomon, the phrase, it's mentioned three different times. And, and the first time she's saying, my beloved's is mine and I am his. Okay, the focus of the bride, which represents you and me, is on what I, how much I love God. And yeah, yeah, he loves me too. And then, and then it switches about halfway through to, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. Like, it changes to his love is first, and then I respond back to him. But then by the end of the book, all she says is, my beloved, I, I, my, I belong to my beloved. And so it changes to, she just completely forgets her own response. She, her only focus is on his love for her. And it just is working out such a deep love reaction that, that her focus shifts from herself to herself and Jesus, and then finally it's just on Jesus at the end. And it's such a cool progression. I love it. I love it. Love it. That's what Jesus does by his Holy Spirit in, when he implants his Holy Spirit in our heart. When we come to him by faith, he loves us, and he's helping us to understand his love. 
That's how we are radically changed. Listen to this promise of how Jesus would change people forever. In, in Ezekiel chapter 36, I'll read it to you. Um, it says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So what does this look like? What does it look like to have this new heart of Jesus implanted in our lives? Well, Ephesians 4 is where we're at, verse 28. It says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that they may have something to give to, the, to him who has need. Again, the new covenant does not add commands for us to keep. It supplies the ability for us to keep the commands by a living relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we call that experience abiding. Abiding is so much different than stop stealing, stop stealing, stop thieving. So much different than come and abide with me and see what transformation happens in your life and in your heart. What did we see? Ezekiel said, I'm going to put this heart in you. I'm going to do all of it for you. All you have to do is abide. Receive it from me. A real relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's like a deep connection. It's a living, dependent relationship. It's not religion. It's relationship. You guys have heard that, right? Everyone says that. Religion says, don't steal because you want to please God, right? You want to make God happy? Don't steal. Don't steal. Relationship with God says, God is pleased with you already in Christ through what Jesus has done for you. So ask him what the most loving thing to do in any situation is. You have to ask him, Father, that, that guy has a, a, a coat that I like. I want to steal it. What's the most loving thing I can do? Don't steal it. Okay, done, right? It was done through relationship, not through law, okay? The new covenant removes the law from us, and he replaces it with something a billion times better. What's a billion times better than the Ten Commandments? Well, only one thing. A heart that loves God. Jesus' life. Jesus' spirit implanted in us that can love God and can love others and can keep the law by nature. I don't even want to steal anymore. That's, what's, that was, that's what we're talking about here, what Jesus does for us. It says a couple verses later in Ephesians that our motivation for keeping this command is the grieving of the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve someone that you don't have a relationship with. It means you have a a relationship. You care what they're thinking. He's saying, don't steal because it grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit absolutely breaks when when we decide that we need something other or more than what he has already provided for us. He's like, why do you need anything except me? It grieves him. 
A lot of people think God is never affected by emotions. When the Bible clearly says that he emotionally grieves when we decide, I'm going to steal because I don't think God would ever provide what I, what I want or what I need. It grieves him that we won't depend on him, that we won't trust in him. When we think of our wants before others' needs, it grieves him. Why did you think you need to steal? Don't you believe that he loves you? You see, it's a relationship breakdown. It's a relationship breakdown. Our flesh is thinking that it needs to provide for its own needs. That's a big reason why we steal is because I'm not satisfied and God's not going to satisfy me, so I'm going to go out and get it myself. But God wants us to be free from this getting what I want prison. Okay, It's like a prison that we get ourselves in, that our flesh is, is enchained by. You know, if you, if you turn on like the, the common popular music stations out there, the rap music and stuff, you hear, every day I'm hustling a lot, right? It's all about the hustle, right? And, and what that means is I am a slave to getting more and more things and more and more influence. I am constantly needing more and I'm never satisfied. That's what it means. And that's glorified in our culture. They're so, they, that, that's what, people want to be like. But when we trust God to provide exactly what we need and when we need it, then we're free to focus on loving him and loving others instead of on getting stuff. Isn't that crazy? You can't, oh, can't take it with you. Preach. Got to sneak a preach sometimes. It breaks the Holy Spirit's heart when we decide that we need to focus on getting it done ourselves instead of abiding in Him. It breaks my heart when I hear these lyrics on secular stations for the most part. It seems like it's a bunch of people who don't have a father like I do. Because I... Don't worry. You can ask my wife. It drives her bananas that I just don't worry about stuff. I don't, and it's kind of my gift. It's kind of my personality, and it's not always right. And, but, but I'm free because mostly I believe my father just loves me. My father, my father promises to give me what I need. That his, and his son is what I need more than anything is Jesus, and he freely gives him to me, all of him, without reservation, without limitation. He gives me everything I need in Jesus. He meets my needs as his spirit lives in me and shares the life of Jesus to me. He gives it to me. So why do I need to steal when I have it all already? That's the real question. That's how this comes. Now, now, um, that is how this command works on a horizontal level, how I steal from other people, why I would want to steal from other people, uh, from our fellow men. But we're going to take just a, min- a-, a minute and look at how it works on the vertical level, okay? How we can steal from God. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6.20. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verse 20. 
For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God's great love and grace for us are designed for a purpose that that God would be glorified to use our lives to accomplish his will on this earth. He wants to get his will done, his kingdom done. We, we always pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Okay. Well, he paid a price for this to be accomplished. He paid the blood of Jesus. The most expensive price that could ever be paid for anything, that's what he bought you with. He didn't buy a strategy. He didn't buy a plan. He didn't buy a denomination. He didn't buy a church. He bought you. And you're like, that was a dumb choice. No, just kidding. (laughs) Why would God value me so much when, when other things are so much more effective? What if we just had a country that always did God's will? Wouldn't that transform the world? In God's opinion, no. He's not concerned about countries doing his will or not doing his will because he has you. And he can distribute his people throughout the world, no matter what country they're in, and they will be the most effective way of his will being accomplished. You guys tracking with me? Okay. This is the game that we're playing. We are his pawns, his army his people, to spend on his plans and on his kingdom. But what about my kingdom? That was not part of the deal. Okay, well, I'm out then. I don't want to serve God's plans. I don't want to let someone else boss me around because I'm American. I'm out of here. That's what happens a lot. Well, did you know desertion is a real thing, and it happens sometimes in the military. And the p- maximum punishment for desertion is dishonorable discharge, forfeiture of all pay, and confinement of up to five years. But if it's during a time of war, it's the death penalty. We are enlisted in the Lord's army. We serve him every day, moment by moment, following the orders of our commander, Jesus. And we don't get to say, no thanks. That's desertion, right? Sometimes we pray, sometimes we're in battle and and it's through prayer. So we're battling with evil forces trying to destroy our families and friends. Sometimes, you know, we challenge the way the world thinks. We start a conversation with a Muslim or, you know, with someone carnal person or anybody in our life, we want to challenge, hey, this violates God's law. This is not God's will. What's going on? But mostly, we walk forward in loving aggression, allowing our enemies to hate us and loving them in return. That's most of the time how God's army is manipulated by him, is spent by him. Here, I want you to go in the book of Revelation and we see the, all the, the 
witnesses and, and all the, the 144,000 chosen and, and, and they go out throughout the world. And then we see that what, what really connected with the world and what, what transformed the world was the blood of the martyrs. That's what transformed them. Instead of it being like, you know, great victory, it was they killed them all, but that's what brought forth a great revival in the, in the book of Revelation. Mostly we walk forward in this loving aggression, knowing that the blood of our sacrifice will be the way that many people get saved. Are you doing that? Are you willing and are you sacrificing your life to follow the orders? I don't even know what he would say. Did you spend time in the word this morning? Because he'll speak to you. He absolutely will. Would you turn with me to Mike, Malachi, chapter 3, verse 8? Or as some people call it, Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> so Malachi 3 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, where have I robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring uh, all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and provide me, uh, says the Lord of hosts. And test me, and see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven, and pour out a blessing, that there shall not be enough room to receive it or contain it. What do most people steal? Money, right? Money is what people steal. The way uh, men view money is an outside view of what is inside in their heart. Money. And before Jesus came, that's what this book of Malachi is, before Jesus came, God commanded one-tenth of all the money of the people to be given to him. One-tenth. It was called the tithe, right? Okay? But they couldn't even get that right. Okay? And that's what he says here. He says, you guys are terrible at giving a tithe, and, and I'm, I'm not doing this to bankrupt you. I want to bless you, but I want to teach you how to follow me. And they couldn't do that. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a rough time. Okay? So they couldn't do it. They didn't have the heart yet. The rules were too hard for men to keep. All of the rules, including tithing. Okay? But I want you to look now and contrast this to what happens after Jesus comes, what you and I get to experience. So fast forward to Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 15. And we'll start there and read this little story, okay? Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk, and they sent him, uh, to him, their disciples with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone uh, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore 
to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went on their way. Okay, so this is a conversation about taxes. Before Jesus came, it was one-tenth. That's what a tithe was at that time. But after Jesus comes, God is not interested in one-tenth of your money anymore. There is no command in the New Testament to tithe one-tenth of your money. It is just not there. Well, then, what do we do? You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You have to ask the Holy Spirit, what is the most loving thing for me to do? I don't tell you how much to give. No pastor ever can tell you how much to give. No one can tell you how much to give. Why? Why would God do it this way? Because the new covenant gives you something first. It gives you something. It gives you value. It transforms you from a human being to something far more valuable, a child of God. He restores men to their right image-bearing state. Remember when we were created? Of course you don't. You weren't there. But you guys know the story. We were created in what? The image of God, right? Well, through Jesus and what he does for us on the cross, he gives us the Holy Spirit, which restores us back to where we can fully operate in that way of being the image of God. He restores you from being something not valuable, a rebellious human, to being exceedingly valuable, a child of God. From something that is going to be burned in a refuse heap of hell to being exalted in heaven. This is amazing. You are transformed into his money. Into his money. He gets not one-tenth of you. He gets all of you. And he gets to spend you as he wishes, as he desires, because you are his valuable money. Whose image and inscription was on the denarius? Caesar's. So God's like, I don't need that. Give it to him. I don't care. I got something so much better. I have attributed value to you. I have made you valuable, and now you are mine. And I can spend you how, much, how I want to. He gets all of us. And now anything we hold back from God is stealing from him. Anything we hold back from God is robbing him. And it says, you shall not steal. God can't bless what we hold back from him. Can he? What parts of our life, what part of your life are you holding back from his control? Oh, I'm, I'm following God, I'm going to church, I, I'm, but, but I will not ever do X, whatever X is. I was having a conversation with someone Friday night, and they heard the radio show, I did the radio show, and there was a caller, and, and she was uh, uh, brokenhearted because her husband said he didn't want to be with her, and we talked a little bit about that. 
And, uh, and then someone came up to me afterwards in person and said, that, that was me. I was a person that, that left my husband. And it wasn't long ago, and I, I just, I'm repentant. I want, how can I make it easier on him now that we're divorced and stuff? And I said, well, is he remarried? And she said, no. Are you remarried? No. And I said, well, then I probably wouldn't shut the door on reconciliation. Oh, I'm never going back. <laughs> well, are, are you a Christian? Yes. You need to think about that. What is God's will in that situation? Right. God hates divorce, right? We know that's his will. We already know it. There's no like, oh, did God want this? No, it is not what he wanted. So we know God's will, but she was unwilling to give that part of her life and say she would even think about it. She would even pray about it. It was no. I will not go to Africa. She even said that. So she'll probably end up married in Africa by this time next year. But that's how he works with his children sometimes, right? So you know that if you say, God, don't send me to Africa, you know where you're going to end up, right? Tajikistan. That's what happens. Because God, God says, you're not the boss. I am God. I have bought you with a price. You are not going to steal from me. It's not going to happen that way. God can't bless what, he, what we hold back from him. So, so does that mean I'm supposed to give everything to church and tithe my whole paycheck? No. No. I'm not even going to joke about it and say, maybe. No. You are to surrender control of everything you are to God. And then... You rejoice in doing his will. You will know his will. You will know what he's telling you to give, and you will give it joyfully. And I never, ever, ever want any of you to give anything if it's not with a smile. And I don't want it to be like this. (laughs) Not that kind of smile. But really, oh, I'm so excited to serve my God and to give to him. Amen? Okay. Giving to the poor or to church or to enemies or to friends is easy when you're just following orders, right? Um, Give what God puts on your heart. Follow orders, but no one but God can tell you what to give. Um, This has been worked out in my life in a really practical way. When I was a young man, I bought an expensive Guild Jumbo acoustic guitar. I was really proud of it. I was so I loved it so much. I kind of idolized it, right? And I was just oh, I love this guitar. I look at my cool guitar. I go to Bible college, and in the semester before Bible college, God was really working on my heart. And I had a roommate, and uh, and and God was like, "I want you to give your guitar to him." And he didn't even know how to play. And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> I love this guitar, but God's work in my life. He, I very specifically knew that He was telling me, "Give it," okay. Now, I want you to know there's a verse the Bible says God will never be outgiven by men, right? He will be a debtor to no man. It is so true. When you allow yourself to be spent by God, he, he over and over and over blesses you. It's crazy, right? He says if you give up family or friends, for my sake, I will, give, I will a hundredfold, right? 
Do you, are you experiencing that out in Tajikistan? Absolutely, man. I know you, I already, I don't know anything about you, but I know that's happening because God is not a liar. And he will do this every time. So I gave away one guitar. A few years ago, I was leading worship at a church, didn't have a guitar, so someone walked up to me and said, here's a guitar. And it was way nice. In fact, it was, I just loaded it in the car. It's the one that was given to me that I used here for like the last five years. It, it let, it's way better than any guitar I ever had. It was crazy. Okay? Then, um, uh, like, I was at a garage sale, and I was like, I would like a bass. And I was just thinking, because I had gotten rid of the bass somehow too, and, and there was this amazing bass for like 50 bucks, and it was like a $500 bass, and so I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I got the bass for like 50 bucks, which is like a huge steal. God just gave it to me. It was awesome. No stealing, right? <laughs> get out. No, just kidding. <laughs> and then like last week, I'm at my friend's house and he brings out this amazing electric guitar and he's like, here, I want you to have this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like God is just pours out blessings on us when we serve him, when we surrender as his money, be his money. Let him, your, his image is on you. So give it all to him. You know, all who, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 8, all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not hear them. And then two verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He contrasts being a robber with himself. He's a giver. He's a giver. Jesus will never be outgiven. He calls us to give because he desires to outdo us in giving. To show, you think that was giving, to watch what I do for you. He will never lose that contest. He will be a debtor to no man. Jesus is the opposite of a thief. He can be a sneaky giver, but he's not a thief. Luke 12, 32, do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You ever wonder what God's whole purpose is? It's to give you everything. That's what he's up to. So spend your life for Jesus. Actually, let him spend you where he wants. And you will find that his giving far outweighs yours. His rewards for you will be eternal and wonderful. Giving is so much better than stealing. Right? We're going to end with one verse in Luke chapter 18. Verse 28, so Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who left his house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present life and in the age to come. And Romans 6, verse 21. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For those, the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks to us and gives us value and, and shows us, Lord, that we are so much more than just broken people now. And Father, we just thank you so much that you 
um, transform us every single day into your image, uh, Lord, as we behold the glory of Jesus, uh, as Second Corinthians says, we are transformed into that image from glory to glory. And Father, I pray that, uh, I know it's been a long church time, but we've really been encouraged and challenged. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would move, move forward, Lord, serving you completely, 100%. Uh, denying our flesh, denying what the world says we should be, instead serving you. Thank you for loving us first and, and for giving us life and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.